Welcome to the One Big Thing Podcast, where inspiration meets transformation. I'm Steve Campbell, your host, and I invite you to embark on this exhilarating journey with me. Are you searching for that extra spark, that push to propel you in the right direction? Look no further. The One Big Thing is all about bringing you incredible guests from diverse backgrounds. So picture this, professional athletes, visionary business leaders, fellow podcasters, and even awe-inspiring stay-at-home moms who are all conquering life's challenges. Get ready to seize your moment of greatness. Don't miss out. Subscribe and follow the One Big Thing podcast today. Well, welcome back to the One Big Thing Podcast. I am your host, uh, Steve Campbell. I just want to, again, as I always do in these shows, thank all of you that have been part of this podcast journey with me. Um, you know, this has been a great outlet for me to inspire and to encourage others. And I told you that in this process with every guest, I get encouraged myself. So I'm very excited about my guest for today. But as a quick reminder, you can listen to the One Big Thing podcast on any major podcast platform. Uh, but if you want to, you can also watch along with us. I know my father and my mother are avid fans. They watch on YouTube. You can head over to NQR Media, that's NQR Media on YouTube, and watch this episode today with really a guest who's been a dear friend since my childhood. Uh, I want to welcome into the One Big Thing podcast studio my good friend, Peter Englert. Uh, give him a few minutes here at the beginning to give us a high-level overview of kind of who he is, and then we'll get into more of his story. So, Peter, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the One Big Thing. Want to give us kind of a, a little bit of a, a shot as to who you are? Well, Steve, before I go, you can add my parents in as two more watchers with your parents. Maybe they'll have a little watch party in Binghamton, you know. The glory days, the 90s coming back, full force. Love it. There we go. Well, just a quick high overview. Uh, My name's Peter Engler. I grew up in Endicott, New York, which is right next to Vestal, where Steve grew up. I grew up there, uh, did schooling. And then when I graduated, I went to a college in Philadelphia. Uh, the college is called uh, University Valley Forge. At, the, at that point, it was Valley Forge Christian College. Studied to be in ministry. I'm currently a pastor, so stealing the punchline. And um, I started a career before that, though, in higher education. I was an admissions counselor um, in for undergrad and graduate work. Met my wife, who at the time was living in Rochester and I was living in Philadelphia. We started a long distance relationship and um, my wife's a mental health counselor. She's gracious. She's kind. But at one point she said to me, Hey, someone's moving and it's not me. And so here I am in Rochester, um, got married, started working at Browncroft community church, have two kids. Um, we have Haley. She's five years old and uh, she uh, we call her the COO. So she's, all about, she's like, daddy, you said that we're going to have chicken nuggets on Friday. Did you buy the chicken nuggets? Do you have it all planned? And then we have Lucy, who are, who's our CEO. And uh, she's all about, she just takes charge. And she's up at 530 in the morning. She's ready to go. She loves to run. Um, and then, yeah, so I've been serving at Browncroft Community Church for the last nine years. I serve primarily uh what we call small groups. So we have about 70 groups with 10 to 12 people building community, growing spiritually. Uh, I host a podcast, which we had Steve on. I'd encourage you to listen to that. It's called Why God Why. Um, Yeah. So just excited to be on the one big podcast. And uh, that's kind of a, just a general overview. 
Yeah. Well, I got, you were gracious enough to ask me to come on your show. And what I love about, you know, why God, why? And I I tell every one of my listeners, this is not a faith-based podcast by any means, but faith is the biggest part of my life. So a lot of my guests tend to be people of faith where faith has made a big impact on them. Um, But we're all about building community, whether that's a spiritual community like we're talking about, or for some of our listeners that listen to the Bradley Rose episode with Peloton, they have their biking community that has brought people mm. together and reduced the ability to be isolated. So wherever you find yourself, you know whether you're a person of faith or not, don't tune out from this conversation today because uh, Peter and I are going to go into some things, both as fathers, as leaders, uh, that we think can help you from the life lessons we've learned. But your podcast, Why God, Why, really asks really those big questions that we all struggle with as people. God, why does this certain thing happen in my life? Or how do I make sense of this thing? So if you're somebody who's kind of on a spiritual journey that wants to know more, it's a it's a fascinating take on trying as best as we can as humans to make sense of many times the larger than life questions that none of us truthfully have answers for. And the episode that you and I had talked through is, why am I dealing with all of these disruptions? And that's a big part of parenting, which we'll kind of get into today. But you know, you're you're doing your life, and this has been a common theme of all of my guests. You you set off on a course of life. You go to school. You get married. You you start having kids. You start a career, and then many times, uh, chapters of your life, seasons of your life, can go in directions that none of us ever saw. They can be major life disruptions. They can be day to day disruptions of you've planned your day out. And your kids come running into your room, something happens, meeting didn't go right, you're recording a podcast and the mics didn't work, whatever it may be, we all deal with these disruptions. And I think it's more so how how do you overcome them because you know they're going to happen, the timing of them you never know of. But we all know that, as Bradley said, it could have been a stroke in your life. As Coach Jim talked about in the last episode, it was losing scholarships and being dealt a bad hand at his time when he coached me at Rutgers. But it's what you do coming out of that that really defines you as a person. So I want to honor you as my guest by telling my listeners, go support Peter on the Why God Why podcast. Yes, he talked about being a pastor, but this is not necessarily going to be a spiritual conversation today as much as just two two guys that have grown up together as kids that find ourselves now probably having more responsibility than any of us thought we'd ever be signing up for in our mid-30s, but learning to kind of navigate through that. And so I know at the beginning, you mentioned a number of different things that make you who you are as a person, but why don't you share maybe a little bit more of kind of your journey that got you to today and maybe some of the major life lessons that you've learned that could really you know, inspire and encourage some of our listeners? Yeah, you know, so before we got started, you're like, hey, um, <clears throat> you know, tell tell us what the one big thing is. So I guess I'll just kind of come right out. Hopefully you keep listening. But um, I think what I've learned with my life um, is, you know, faithfulness builds trust and faithfulness transforms you. So I, if I'm just going to do it in one word, it's faithfulness. And, um, you know, I think about that. Uh, I'm actually going to ask you a question. This is what happens when you get two co-hosts together. But, um, you know, part of my journey has just been learning faithfulness. And I use that word intentionally as opposed to consistency. You know, the Greek word for faith is tied to belief and action. And I think sometimes when we talk about consistency, our friends that are entrepreneurs or Epicureans, or they love to kind of start new things, they get, they fear that they're going to be placed in this box that 
I have to do it this way or all my life has to be there that way. And one of the things that I love about this podcast, about the one big thing is learning what your one big thing is and being radically faithful with that. Um, so we're talking about families, we're talking about our jobs, but just to back up, and I just want to kind of share that because all throughout my life, I've just been called to an extra level of faithfulness. Um, so, you know, I graduated college, I lived in Springfield, Missouri for five months and that was a really seminal time. I would have told you that was a terrible time. I was in grad school. I had just graduated from college. I was felt like I was at the top of my game. And I was working at a school cafeteria, taking theology and psychology classes. And it just felt like the biggest waste of time. But what happened there was there was some humility that was developed. And there was something about consistently coming, even when you don't want to be somewhere. Um, yep. And then later on, I got my job as an admissions counselor. I I spent a lot of time with families. And part of the faithfulness that I learned was there's a unique life stage about parents sending their kids to college. And in this moment, they need to know with all the craziness going on, can I walk with someone? Can they be there with me? And I guess I'll lead off here and then I'll kind of tee it back to you. But Really, the journey of faithfulness, it came to when I met my wife, Robin. You know, we met randomly at a conference. We started a long distance relationship and we started FaceTiming pretty much every night. I mean, Apple, if you're listening to this, my first iPhone was the week that I met uh, my wife. So that's kind of where I put everything with smartphones. And there came a point in my life where I felt called to be a pastor. And I think that there's uniqueness about a calling to the pastor, but some of you, I think, also have that similarity that you you feel called to be an engineer, you feel called to be an entrepreneur, and it's weird in your life when you feel called to do something, and it's not quite, it's not right in front of you. So in my life in that moment, I kind of put that dream and that calling on hold, and I said, I've met this great woman I don't care what I have to do. I'm just going to move to Rochester, New York and marry her. I had no idea I was going to end up here. And I think those simple acts of faithfulness of kind of trusting um, and just kind of working my way. I mean, I landed at pastoring and I know that not everyone's about faith here, but I just kind of wonder, I think sometimes we can get so focused on one area of our life that we're not focused and in tune with the other areas and how they work out. So. Um, I'll end it with this, this kind of thought, but Philip Yancey in the book, Disappointed with God says, faith is believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. So if you take that faith of, you know, I'm going to go through things in my life that I won't understand. If faithfulness is kind of the overdrive of, I'm going to keep doing what I feel like either God or I feel called to do and just see what happens. Yeah, and you and I had talked kind of pre-show about that word faithfulness because it can be it can be kind of a, a triggering word, especially if you're a person coming from faith, that you're alluding to something that aligns with kind of your belief system. But I think when you talk about replacing the word consistency, we all desire as spouses, as parents, as employees of a company to be consistent, to be able to show value for what we are doing. But replacing it with the word faithfulness 
adds a layer of intimacy. It adds a layer of um, something that is beyond just, you know, being uber consistent at what you do. And I love that concept because, you know, your story is very similar to Rachel's story from episode two, where we talked about where does our identity come from? And again, if you're new to the One Big Thing podcast, I encourage you with every new listener that we add, what I typically hear from them post the show that they listen to is I went back and I listened to all your other episodes. So to all of you guys, it means the world to me as the host that you would go back and listen to other episodes because each one of them has been unique. Um, I don't always know necessarily where my guests want to take the conversation, but it always comes out exactly how it was supposed to. And that's a lot like life. That's a lot like what you're talking about here. But Rachel had talked about in her episode of this vision of being at one point a ballerina and at another point going into marketing and doing high level marketing. In her very first opportunity, she got asked to come and basically fill the front desk as an admin person and talk about kind of a womp womp when you're like, well, this isn't necessarily what I envisioned or I dreamed about or I journaled about. This is kind of a way step back as far as a career path. But what she talked about is she had a choice. She could have been offered that opportunity to work as an admin front desk person, which she didn't want to do and say, you know what, I respectfully decline, which, okay, no one would have, you know, batted an eye at that. She could have put a half-hearted effort into it and barely showed up because she knew it's not what she wanted to do. And what she did, though, is in full faithfulness, she showed up at a job that she really didn't feel like doing. And in that opportunity came the ability to work on projects that she would have never had had access to. And I think that's a big part of what I talk about. It launched her into her career. So many times, whether it's health or just situations, We've talked about this on every show. It's the setbacks in life that can actually propel us into the setups for life. But a lot of it has to do with your heart disposition and how you're looking at it. Sure, working in a cafeteria may not have been ideal as you're studying big life things like theology and you know things of the divine, but you know when you're trying to serve lunch to people every day. But it's probably in those lessons in my life too that I've learned. It's in the things that we don't want to do that not only creates faithfulness, but it, it, it helps us realize um, that we could be one small decision away from an impactful legacy. And there's many people that are out there today kind of waiting for that moment to arrive in their life to feel when they, they're going to make it. And what I've discovered, and Peter, you can tell me if I'm wrong, typically it's never just this you know, thing that's going to happen to you. Many times, today could be the best day of your life. But if you're not in the position to recognize it, you might miss the blessings or the opportunities right in front of you every single day because you're embittered. You're, you're um, jealous of what other people are doing. You're not doing the things you thought you were going to do. That when opportunity knocks, you may not recognize it because it didn't come packaged the way that you thought it was going to arrive, right? We can all identify an Amazon package when it arrives because it's from Amazon. But many times the doors to opportunity in our life don't come packaged from the person delivering them in the way that we thought. So I love that your story does kind of go in line with many of the guests that I've had, that the path to success or opportunity is never a straight line and it's never really the steps that we normally end up taking. There's a lot of curveballs or disruptions that you and I talked about. So I don't know if you want to keep going along those lines of some of the things you've learned, but, or anything that we just talked about that might've resonated with you. Well, let, let's have some, so this is the problem with two co-hosts doing this. So here's my question to you. Um, 
What do you think is the number one value or takeaway from growing up in Broome County, Binghamton, Vestal, Endicott, that you've taken with you to Tennessee? What do you think about living in that location and region? Um, I think I appreciate where I came from, but I also realize that, you know, a lot of where we grew up, you can have um, a lot of negative thoughts about the weather, about the economy, about things. But I always found, at least for me personally, that I've always been a glass, a, a glass, you know, pouring over kind of person that I can find the good in a lot of things. And I've always just had this innate ability as a kid that no matter the cards I've been dealt, just to be able to try to find the positives. And what I could say now is the things that I think I enjoy about my life in Tennessee were always inside of me. It's just that now I'm getting to experience them in very real, tangible ways from, you know, because I had a level of appreciation. And I, you know, I could be around people that today's going to stink. The weather, you know, sucks. Uh, the job economy is bad. My employer is bad. Everything is bad. And meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? And what I have found is that I never knew that that was actually probably preparing me for the life that I have now that I guess. I guess this is what a, the way I could put it. I know what I'm looking for when I see it because I've been preparing myself for an expectation of what life should look like. So mm. when I got to Tennessee, I knew exactly these are the kind of people I want to be around. And this is exactly the life that I want to live because I had been always living with the understanding that there's got to be more or there's you know, either my, my expectations are way too high and they're too lofty and no one can ever live up to it. A community can never live up to it. Or I'm in this constant pursuit to align what I value with the place where I live and the people I'm doing it with that when I saw it in my life down here outside Knoxville and Tennessee, I was like to my wife, that's it. And what's crazy is she saw it too. So I don't know if that's kind of, kind of aligned with what you were thinking, or if you had any thoughts around that idea. No, I'll answer that. I appreciate that because I, I guess I've become more aware of where you grow up or like the multiple places you grow up, like what you carry with you. So, sure. um, and I can definitely see the negativity, the skepticism. I think the way that I'd frame it, even for this episode, is trust is extremely difficult to build, mm -hmm. but once you once you get it it changes everything. Yeah. And so, you know, as I've kind of gone back through the history of where we grew up, um, international business machine, this little company called IBM started there. And I think there was a generation of individuals that thought IBM was going to take care of them. They're going to work there for 40 years and then everything blew up. And I, I think of that story as a microcosm of why there's the negativity at the end of the day, it was a trust issue. I thought this organization was going to take care of me. Yeah. So as someone that is in a high trust job, I think what I've learned is that what Binghamton has taught me is your faithfulness. You, you can put faith, trust, you can put all of those things somewhat together. Like it's worth building trust with people. Like when you say it's not just credibility or consistency, when you say you're going to email, you do it. When you say you're going to be there, you're going to do it. Um, and I just think that that's something for leaders wherever you are. Um, but even in places like upstate New York, um, and where I'm at Rochester, like Kodak and 
Um, Kodak and IBM kind of have similar stories. And, you know, the older I get, the more I kind of see what you can do in your role, in your jobs for customers, for friends, for family, like to know what that trust looks like. Um, it requires a, a huge depth of faithfulness. Well, and even even just in terms of, you know, we had talked about on the show with other guests, how much the world has changed in the last few years in light of COVID and, you know, pandemics and just relocations and people, you know, even trust amongst friends and family, people that say things that they, that are well-meaning. I'll always be there for you. If you ever need me, I'm one call, I'm one text away. And you know, I, I think we all appreciate the vulnerability when we put ourselves out there and we acknowledge to somebody like, Peter, I need you. And when you don't get a response back for three, four days in a text, when you've put your heart out there, what's even worse, folks, and I, I you know, and the one big thing we're all about here, giving you really practical things. If you're an iPhone user, if you accidentally typed a character in the response, please erase it. Because there is somebody who sent you a heart reach out of, I need your help, Steve. And I accidentally put a letter in the chat response and all they see on the receiving end is bubbles typing for however long that goes on. They're thinking a book is coming. But I think that's a lot of what you're touching on is we need to all become, whether you're a person of faith or not, reliable, dependable, consistent in our approach. And this is kind of something you and I talked about leading up to the show that one of my favorite uh, quotes that actually comes from another Peloton coach that I follow that has really rocked the way that I see life in general. He said, how you do anything is how you do everything. And it really makes you think about your entire life. And I think if we're all being honest, we all try to do our best as citizens in our community to do right, to not do evil, to take care of people. But it's the little things day in and day out that if we're not careful of because we're dads, because we're parents, because we're married, you can cut corners on things that no one sees, uh, whether it's in your health and your eating, taking care of your home, the way your car looks, um, not responding to the email on time, hoping that somebody will show you grace. And what you realize is that that's, that has byproducts or side effects that if you're not careful, that's framing the way that you look at life. And so you might be getting the really big things right, which I'm all about. But many times it's the small things that I found in my life personally that if I don't pay attention to can really create the cracks in my foundation that if I'm not careful and I don't address soon enough, you can fall apart one day and not really know why. And so I love that idea that you're talking about from a super practical. If you say you're going to send an email to somebody, a friend, a colleague, a client, send the email when you say you're going to do it. Maybe overestimate when it's going to come and then, you know, over deliver. You know, I'm going to email you by Friday and email them on Tuesday. You look like a winner. But it's those small things that I think from practical ways that when you teach people how to do that can be the difference from maybe promotion or staying in the same position for the rest of your life, wondering when your opportunity was going to come. Hey, let's let's focus in though on on the text message and the email because let's just get super practical here. Yep. So if you're in Gen Z and you're in your 20s, I just I want to say I almost did this as like a LinkedIn post. I would give you one piece of advice if you want to you know get promoted, if you want to grow, respond to your email in 24 hours. Like that, that's my like number one thing. And, you know, I know it's a different generation as millennials. No one likes us. Boomers don't like us. Gen Z, Gen Z doesn't like us. But I would just say this. Number one, if you're in your 20s, 
just responding in 24 hours or even 12 hours, um, if it's not a weekend, um, and we'll kind of get to there on that, that's that's one thing I just want to throw out there. But the second thing with what you said, because this is a super practical podcast, let's talk about when you get that text message or that phone call that you don't know what to do with. And I think we think that there's two options. Option number one, I have to respond to everything that's in this email or text with a text. Option number two is just ghost the person. What if there's like a third or fourth option? Like if you want to build faithfulness and credibility, what if like another option is, hey, I really appreciate you sharing this. Can I have a couple days to process and respond to you? Um, hey, I just want to let you know I received this. I want to you know follow up with you. And I, I think that there's little things like that or, hey, thanks for sending this. Can we talk later about this? And they're all kind of the same. But I think there's something about when you get something really difficult, acknowledging it and letting the person know that you received it. And that does something for people that helps them because we've all been on the side of the emails and the text messages and we've waited. And I understand that there's anxiety when you receive that, but I think it just buys you time and helps that person to know I'm here just so they're not looking at the three little dots. Yeah. And there, there's totally grace because there's times where I, I try to be Johnny on the spot and get back to people, but life happens, you know, your kids walk in the room. And so practical standpoint, you're trying to be better in your marriage about not being on your phone so much when you're around your spouse or your kids. So you, you practically set your phone down on the nightstand and you go about your day. But as you're doing that, you get a text from Pete Englert that's like, Hey man, I need to talk to you. And you read it and you set your phone down because you're trying to be good about being around your spouse. There's been a day or two that goes by and I'm like, oh gosh, I didn't even respond to Peter. That's okay to send that text and say, I am so sorry. I actually read this the other night. Let me get back to you. That can happen once. When it becomes a pattern that you're always apologizing for not getting back, it, it might be more of a mindset that that's more of an internal attitude that you probably should put your finger on and address. Because what that does of building trust with the receiver or the person that sent it to you, and we're not talking about just employer to employee, but friend to friend, uh, sibling to sibling, parent, to just acknowledge, and this is something I train my team on all the time outside of podcasting. If you get an email from a client or somebody who's reaching out to you and you just don't have the time to get back within 24 hours, it is okay to send an email that says, I received your email, put together some thoughts. Let me get back to you in a few days. Just wanted you to know I received this. You are buying yourself time. What's worse is to read an email, not know what to say, and think you're doing the right thing, waiting two or three days to respond. You have no idea what is going through that person's mind in 24, 36, you know, 48 hours, where by the time you respond, the opportunity is gone. You've lost a relationship. They've been burnt out. So I think just your points that you're making here of, it's okay to not always have all the answers. But I think what's frustrating is when you put yourself out there and work or with your heart in a friendship and you send a text, you will literally wait pins and needles to get some sort of response. And what's frustrating is... When you run into that person the next time, you're like, hey, I texted you a while ago. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I read it. And it's like, and you just, you didn't respond. It's like, oh, I thought I did. It's like, okay. You know what I mean? Like it, you take a step back on, is this somebody that's trustworthy or somebody who lives up to what they say? So I think your points of just 
being forthright and honest about where you're at and being able to respond, whether it's to an email. And again, these are all these are all really passive ways to not deal with sometimes things that should be real face-to-face conversations. There are times that when you receive an unwanted text message or an unwanted email from somebody who wasn't able or maybe they needed to process their thoughts and they weren't able to call you right out on it, sometimes you as the person receiving those things have to have the ability to say, you know what, this really needs to be a response conversation in person, even if it's challenging. Because you can spend a lot of time curating the most thoughtful text message or email back to somebody and boy, they can be misread or misconstrued for what you're trying to say. So I don't know if in your your role, and again, we didn't talk about this prior to the show, but you're a pastor. You're somebody who honestly stewards the hearts of people that trust you, that come to you. There, there's a weight to that, kind of like Jim was as a coach. I mean, have you had experiences, whether they've been tough lessons that you've learned along the way where you thought, boy, man, I blew it. But just in your experience that you've learned, when is it time to pick up the phone? When is it time to have a face-to-face that's been the difference between addressing things that need to be addressed in person versus, hey, this could all be handled digitally or via email or text messaging? Three paragraphs means there should probably be a conversation. Okay, um, that's the cutoff. Okay, good. <laughs> well, I mean, because if, if somebody's sending you a heartfelt email, and, you know, I'm sure if you interviewed people that I served, whether it's, you know, the the people that I work with on my team or on, on the team at church, or if it's people that um, attend Browncroft and are part of it, the mistakes that I made was responding to the email or responding to the text message. And I think what I've learned is, hey, we probably need to talk about this in person, um, even if it's Zoom, you know, because I and it, even if it's Zoom, even if it's a phone call, I need to hear your inflection. I need to hear what you're saying. I need to be able to say, hey, Steve, can I can I just clarify that now? There's three paragraph emails that we all get that they're kind of the old fashioned paper memos that our bosses used to send out. OK, great. You know, but even with that, to kind of follow up with that and, you know, I just, I want to come back to our big idea and faith is saying, I believe, you know, faith in something I believe I trust. So when you're faithful to someone, you're saying to them, I believe in you. I trust you. So if I believe in someone, I'm going to want to give them my best. I'm going to want to be faithful to them that I want to honor them. Now, we can't always give a ton of energy, so I, I want to kind of be careful of that. But sometimes there's not many things that have to be handled urgently that we can't just say, hey, can we can we catch up on this? Can we make a phone call? And yeah. I, I'm talking to a lot of people that work. Hey, when you get that email, calm down, wait an hour, maybe wait a day, and just stop by that person's office. Hey, am I reading this right? This is what I read. This is what I heard. And I I forgot to say my wife's a mental health counselor. And I think she's been the person that's helped me grow the most about listening, about like coming back to a person like, hey, Steve, I think I heard you say that you're frustrated with me. And everybody thinks that those are just easy things. But when you're upset and you're angry. And so, again, kind of coming back to this big idea, when you're faithful to someone, you're saying, I believe in you. Hey, I'm going to learn how to communicate and connect with you in a way that honors you and cares about you. 
Well, and your your wife is in mental health. You know, I was having a conversation with uh, a couple of people a few days ago, and um, you can tell me if I'm right, wrong, if I'm on the right track or any thoughts you have. But I think a lot of us in 2023 may have relationships. They might be family relationships. They might be friend relationships where this idea of boundaries has been almost overused and abused in a way where like I'm a total advocate for mental health and well-being and work-life balance and removing toxic people from your life. But I feel like what unfortunately has happened is we've all picked up the book about boundaries or like keeping people at arm's length that aren't adding to your bottom line as a person. But we're we're not doing the human experience of making situations right that could be right because either we are afraid of being hurt, we're afraid of being misunderstood, or honestly, we just don't want to deal with things. So there's a lot of listeners that are out there that maybe your familial relationships with your parents or your siblings or distant cousins or even in the workforce where you can, it's never been easier to label people as toxic because they disagree or they do things differently than the way you do it. And so you tell yourself that you need to set up boundaries, right? I'm just not going to engage with that person anymore. But what, I, what I've discovered is that a lot of times we've never had a conversation with the person that has quote unquote offended us or our family or the way we do things. And so they're on the opposite end going, and you never talk to me anymore, or I never see you anymore, or like what happened to our relationship? And you feel good maybe as the person knowing that you've set up a mental boundary or an emotional boundary against them, but you haven't given them the opportunity as another human being to have a cup of coffee or to talk, even if it's really hard to talk things through and say, I just want to put this all like, Peter, I don't know if you know this, but you really hurt me when you said this about the way I am as a dad. And it could, folks, Peter did not ever say anything about me as a dad, but in real life, sometimes it can be, hey, man, I opened myself up to talk about I'm struggling as a dad and I blew it with my kids. And I just want you to know when you said that statement, it really hurt me and undercut me. And I know you were joking, but man, I've held on to that for a while because I thought you were being critical of me as a dad. If in one instance, I know that you've hurt me, but I never told you that and we're so-called friends. And you start texting me and I never respond to you. When you call me, I hit decline or I let it go to voicemail and I never respond. You might be thinking, man, what did I do wrong? And in reality, I've never valued maybe the relationship as much as I said by being able to be forthright and not send you a book long text message that you never asked for about how much you've hurt me and there's a pattern of hurt there. But being willing as a human being to be faithful to the relationship you and I have and pick up the phone and say, hey, Pete, I'd love to grab coffee with you and talk through a couple of things that have been on my heart, you know, and be able to sit down. So I don't know in your experience as a pastor, as a dad, as being married to a mental health, you know, so, you know, advocate, is am I wrong in saying that I feel like sometimes we're taking the easy road out when it comes to confrontation by calling things boundaries and calling things toxic, when in reality, we could be one conversation away from restoration from families being united, from relationships being restored. Any kind of, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but any thoughts along kind of those areas from what you've experienced? So much there, but let's start here. What, what are boundaries? Boundaries are clear and they're communicated. And so 
if you, and you can still do it on the back end, but you have to hold them, but boundaries are clear and communicated. So let's, let's take an example of this. So as a pastor, I work on Sundays. So that means one day during the week, I'm not in the office. That day tends to be Thursday. My wife's home. My two girls are home. My daughter Haley's actually starting kindergarten in the fall. So that's going to change, but I need to be clear and communicate. So, you know, to the people that I work with and I serve, hey, I'm off on Friday. Um, I want to be clear with you. So if you send an email at about seven o'clock on Wednesday, I'm probably not going to get back to it till Friday morning um, at the very latest Friday afternoon. So you have to be clear. I'm not in the office on Thursday. And then you have to communicate that. What I've seen damage relationships and I've seen a number of um, individuals that are in our generation, in our season of life, they throw up a boundary that, and they use the word boundary almost as a weapon. You know, yeah. a boundary is to protect, um, it's to give another person their ability to be them, but it's also the ability to be you. And there's a lot written on that. My wife would tell you, and she taught me that, and that's probably from Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Henry Cloud is her professional crush. I knew that when I married her. But, um, you know, I just encourage your listeners to to check that out because I think that if you want to build trust and if you want to have healthy relationships, you need to know exactly what a boundary is. But the second thing to your point, yeah, we are afraid to confront. We are afraid to do that. And I I probably, there's probably better perception percentages. So if I make something up and someone picks on me on Twitter or, or threads or wherever, when they listen to this, but probably like 60 to 80% of conflict is resolved from us just listening. You know, and I've learned that in my life. If I could tell you my biggest failures as a pastor, it's because I haven't listened. It's because I've come in with a solution or I've tried to defend myself. And I, you know, I think about with our spouses, um, my wife, Robin, is extremely sensitive. She's empathetic. She's kind. She's gracious. And, you know, we'll talk about something as simple as trying to schedule who's going to pick up the girls from daycare and all this stuff. And sometimes I'm jumping into solutions. And really what she's looking for from me is, hey, you're really stressed out or it seems like you're feeling this. What can I do for you? And even in that safer, because we trust each other, we're faithful to each other, all of those big ideas. But you think about that in the workplace, you know, hey, Steve, like in that meeting, it just seems like there was a lot of frustration. There was a little anxiety. It seems like there was some anger. What's going on? Well, you know, when someone said this or, okay, so Steve, when that person said that you felt that, oh yeah, that's exactly what it is. Hey, what do you need from me? Most of the time, you're just going to say, I just need someone to listen. You know, I, I don't need the tactic to go back to them. But when you start modeling that, whether you're the lowest person in the org chart or whether you're the CEO, it just changes things. Yeah. And, and Jim talked about that on the last episode is one of his involvements as a coach was developing this skill of empathy, you know, being able to be empathetic and to listen. And that was something that he's a coach. Right, we weren't talking about being a pastor of a church, uh, and he learned with his players that there was many times as a coach you're seen as this authority figure that you believe it's your responsibility to dictate and tell people what to do because you think that's why they're asking your opinion. 
many times they're asking your opinion because they want you to listen and they want you to understand what they're going through and then to model before them maybe opportunities or ways to work through it. But if you find that you're, because we can, if we're not careful, we can all have opinions. And obviously in the world and culture we live in today, there's a whole lot of people that got a whole lot of opinions and we've never been more divisive as people with those opinions, but to really be able to understand where people are coming from and to show people the grace, um, especially think about this, man, the way that we are all young parents, we were all raised in houses where we had parents that modeled parenting before us, whether that was good, whether that was bad, whether we've taken on those uh, responsibilities and values as parents ourselves, or maybe we thought, man, I am never going to be like my mom and dad, which to my mom and dad and the Inglerts, I know you guys are watching. We love you guys. Great job being parents. Uh, but to some of us, you get around other young couples that have kids and maybe the way in which you raise your kids is very different. You know, there are some parents that are very protective. They don't let their kids do certain things. Some parents are more loosey-goosey and their kids kind of run the roost. And so what can happen is if you don't talk through those things, those expectations, boy, I wonder how many relationships we've all squandered or taken a step back in because we weren't able to have what we think are hard conversations. That's what we tell ourselves. You know, whether confrontation is so hard because the human brain is so fascinating that we can uncover a thousand scenarios that could happen. If I bring this up to Peter, that we can play in our head that he's going to punch me or he's going to stab me or he's going to defriend me. And what I have found, and again, you can tell me in your role and what you do, nine times out of 10, what I thought was going to happen never happens. That I can work myself up so much on, man, I can't. I can't bring this to Peter's attention because this is going to happen and this is going to happen. That if if I'll actually just address it, it and address it in a way that I'm coming from a place of because I want to be faithful to see this thing work, not from a place of you didn't know I was going to bring this up and I'm all out going to attack you because I don't emotionally know how to deal with myself. So what I do as a defense mechanism is I lash out at people because that's what my parents did and that's what I do. Dude, we got to stop. We, we, we got to start taking more ownership for what comes out of our mouth and the thoughts that we have, that there are a lot of people that will say things like, well, that's just the way I am. Hold on a second. If there's faithfulness between us as friendships, then this relationship deserves more mm -hmm. than throwing out the easy, that's just the way I am, or that's the way my parents raised me. And so just working through some of those things is really hard. And many times in my life, it's come because I've blown it in one relationship. So for every person that's a friend with me from this point moving forward, I'm probably a better version than my last friendships, hopefully, right? That's the goal because you realize, man, in my last season of life, I blew it with this person. I blew it with that person. And just being able to introspectively look at your own life when you do mess up and think about where did those thoughts come from or why do I you know, attack things the way that I do? So I love these ideas of faithfulness across emails, across text messages, across boundaries. But what, because you deal with this a lot, I didn't know we were going to go here, but I think it is super practical, practical, if I can say that word today. How, how would you encourage somebody that's listening today that if I told you as a listener, picture the person, the situation, the people, that boy, when they text you, mm, it, it elicits a feeling. When they call you, it elicits a feeling. When you see them post on Facebook, 
you get a feeling. You know that there's somebody or somebody's in your head that there's relationships that you probably either need to make right or at least acknowledge what's going wrong so that you can, if a boundary is necessary, set it up. How would you even begin to give somebody steps that they can take to go from, I know that there's relationships I should be you know, acknowledging or dealing with versus like, what are the baby steps that somebody can take to at least have those kind of conversations that need to be had? Man, what a great question. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I talked with my wife last week and she's been repeating a question and then I saw my coach on Friday. So I just want to take two things from them, just two really simple things. The question that my wife always asks is, what's, what's going on inside of you? So when you read that post, when you get that text message, what's going on inside of you? And I, I don't know if your listeners know this, anger is a secondary emotion. Um, so usually you're anger, angry because you're scared or you're anxious or you're upset. Like there's something else that's going on. And I just think asking that question, like what, what's going on inside of you? What part of your body is actually t- tensing up? You know, is your brain running? And this is from Steve Cuss. He does, I'm part of Capable Life, which is a anxiety group. So like, he'll tell you all of this and this is, a, this isn't me. So I just want to throw that out there. But, you know, do you, do you have a, do you have a hand that's jittery? Like, are you aware? Because we get so focused on the issue that we don't see what's happening in our bodies. But right. then the second thing is, you know, and this is where my coach on Friday really challenged me is he said, first of all, number one, what are your values? Because when you're really upset, there's usually a value violation. Um, and that doesn't mean that that person is wrong or, or right. You know, let's, let's just take the value of randomness versus consistency, like, or newness versus consistency. Like you might work with someone that has a bright idea every 10 minutes and you're the engineer that wants to do things right in a row. Like, just acknowledge that value violation or, and maybe that's not the right word, but I I think what he challenged me to do, and this is my homework this week is, Hey, what are your values? You know, I, I, I have some conflicts with individuals and he's like, until you know what your values are, like, you're not going to be able to deal with that. So let's just have some fun here. Faithfulness is probably one of my values. Um, so when I'm sitting down with someone, I can't just say, Hey, you violated my values. I have to say, hey, I value faithfulness. I value like when you say you're going to do something, you do it. I value like you kind of consistently following up and checking in. I just want to let you know. And I feel like that was violated. And and maybe I wouldn't say it that way, but at least that's a conversation starter to kind of go from there. And I think by joining those two things together, what's happening inside of me, if you don't name it, you can't deal with it. And then to know your own values, because if those get violated, you know, because we use our values to create our expectations. And the assignment my coach gave to me was, he said, you have a lot of expectations about people. Um, You know, even today, I expected Steve to be ready to go at 1 p.m. when I jumped on Riverside. Now, is that, and I think the the next question to that, which he's challenging me to think about is, you know, is that a reasonable expectation or is that an unreasonable expectation? So Steve, let's say in the middle of this, you and I get really heated 
and you say something that is just kind of off the wall, it probably won't happen. But if I, if one of my values is tact, like, and just kind of saying things the right way, and we got going on something, it's unreasonably for me to expect you to have tact in a high emotional situation. So like using some of those things. So number one, what's happening inside of you? And do you know your values? And do you know what's being violated? Those would be kind of the two big things that I would just encourage people. I keep saying like, it's more than one thing. We're talking about faithfulness. But in these conversations, I think that that's extremely valuable to be aware of yourself. I love that. So so what's happening, taking a mental assessment of what's happening with you and then what's being violated? I I think that that's such a helpful framework. And each one of my guests has given this unexpected framework, which I think is really helpful for people to think through. And you know, I think I think that's a, a huge part of what we're trying to get to is acknowledging when there has been a violation of your values. Well, a big part of what Brett talked about in episode three was just writing down your values and what you stand for. Because if you don't even know your values, then you don't know a violation. Now, you might have a spider sense that alerts you that, boy, when, when you're late, it really irks you. So you might be somebody that really values being on time and having things happen. That's good to acknowledge that, right? And so I think for all of us, it's beginning to try to be self-aware of the things that you value as a person. But what what you also said is you, you may, and you self-diagnosed as this, you expect a lot of others. That's been probably one of my downfalls in my life because I hold myself to such a high standard right? I, I have always been somebody who has been able to self-encourage. You know, a big part of the Bible that it talks about in Psalm 62 is being able to encourage your own soul, to be able mm. to encourage yourself. That has been something that, boy, when I am dealt a hand of cards I didn't expect, come on, Steve, you got it. It's almost like self-talk. Think about where these thoughts came from. My assumption is that every single person I deal with as a human has the ability to do that. So when you sit down for a cup of coffee or you talk with a friend and it seems like they're just kind of being miserable and unloading and you're in your mind like, well, have you dealt with this person? Are you working through this yourself? Or are you just kind of you know vomiting all the things that have happened to you? What I realized in my own unique spiritual journey that the Lord put on my heart is my expectations for people are too high too. And I've kind of come up with this funny line to help myself, which is, man, if I just have really low expectations for every single person I come across, I will always be pleasantly surprised. But I wonder if the people that have uh, violated our values, like you said, are actually stemming from a place of we expected more than what they were able to give us. And I'll give you an example. You know, when you, when you have your own kids maybe you thought your parents were going to be a certain way as grandma and grandpa that when your values are violated and again i'm not cuz my parents listen to this show i'm not calling out my parents but in my in having coffee with friends or dinner what comes up a lot is our is our parents right maybe you feel that your parents aren't the way you thought they were going to be as grandparents they violated a value maybe they do things differently than the way you had thought or you thought they would be more loving or you thought that they would be more helpful financially to you at this stage in your life maybe your expectation whether you said it or not is that your parents at this stage of your life are going to help you financially 
understanding that you're married and you have kids and you have student loans. And did, did you put that expectation on them though? And did you ever have that conversation so that when you unconsciously tell your parents, man, we really need a new dishwasher, man, we really need more furniture, man, we really need school, you know, kids, uh, clothes for our kids going back to school. You're hoping that they'll be like, you know what, Peter, we got you. Mom and dad got you. Let us step in. And if you're not careful, what you can realize is when your parents don't come through financially for you, if it disappoints you, that might be something that you need to address yourself personally because you have friends that have parents that do do that for them. You have friends that the last time you got coffee with your girlfriend or a buddy of yours, they talked about how their parents helped them buy their new home, that their parents helped them get their kids into dance. In, in your internal value system is like, well, my parents have never done that. Is that a value violation? And so I think sometimes it's not that our, again, it's not that we're talking about evil or sin or that you were abused, which is very real, but it is unmet expectations that we may be, if we're all not careful, putting on other people that we've never said out loud but we're expecting our friends to do things that we never you know, told them were important to us, that when they don't do it, that we feel let down. And so I love this idea and just working through this, um, but even, even just to unpack it even more. I mean, how, let's say you're, you're somebody who has literally never addressed these things ever. And if you put down the people that are important to your life, they're, the whole relationship may not be broken or unhinged. But again, if we're being honest, there are relationships that we wish were a little stronger or that were more intimate and that we could share more things with a colleague or a friend. What are the starting points that maybe you've learned in your own journey for beginning to address things that should be addressed, but maybe you're too scared to even put yourself out there? So let's say this, right? As an example, somebody listens to this episode, hopefully you listen to the first 40 minutes, but you, you listen to this episode, your values have been violated. And so you pick up your phone and boy, you begin to Billy Shakespeare, write that text messages. That's three days long about how you wish the relationship was more than what it was. And you hit send and you feel good and you wait for a response and boy, it blows up in your face. Like, what do you do to the people that have tried maybe in other ways to uh, deal with conflict resolution with friends or family or parents and have kind of failed. So they've been scared. What would be even if I came to you as my pastor and I said, Peter, I really wish my relationships with XYZ were stronger. What would even be a good, like, how would you encourage me to even get started? Let me just tell a story from my own journey. Cause I think that's, that's probably the most helpful. So I didn't have these tools in my twenties and I had a job that there's an individual way above the org chart that I really looked up to from afar. And um, when I got hired in this organization, I just like, I looked forward to them coming to my office. Um, there's a gravitas to them. And, you know, the more I got to know them, there was just more fear. Um, and it wasn't always directed at me, but just, I, I probably, I got to come up with my list of values. I got to listen to that episode you just shared about, but also I've got to come up, but really finding a mentor, usually outside the organization I work has just been something that God's been really gracious right now. I have a mentor. Um, you know, we go to the gym pretty much every week. We talk a lot, very appreciative of my keys, but 
you know, I looked, I value mentoring, I value intergenerational relationships. And there came a moment where this individual, I sent a mailer out and there was two individuals that had the same name. One got switched. You know, you can only imagine the notes or, you know, the different messages. And this individual, they were a part of it. They came down to my office and it was like five o'clock. Um, offices close at 4.30. I'm staying late already. Like I'm giving my heart and soul to this organization. And this individual said, did you know that this went to the wrong person? And I did my, I'm so sorry. Like, like I already felt shame because I want this person to value and like me. And the response back was, this will never happen again. And I didn't know what else to say. And I said, I will do my best. They said, this will never happen again. I said, I'll do my best. This will never happen again. I said, this will never happen again. I, so using the tools I just talked about, um, number one, uh, what's going on inside of me? I was scared that this was going to become a bigger deal. I felt shame. I, I don't want to fail. I don't want to, you know, be let go. Like, I don't want to get fired. And if I had these tools, I'd probably say, hey, first of all, what's going on in me? Number one. But then number two, there's a values violation. You know, there was, you know, I value you being invested in mentoring in my life. And if you really knew me, you wouldn't handle this. But let me tell you the, 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 the shift. It's been years since that's happened. And when I think about this individual, they have a ton of contributions to the things that went wrong in their role, but they were also under a lot of stress. I don't know what their day looked like. I don't know what meetings they had. And what if I went to that job, not having those expectations on that person and said, Hey, it's great when you get the attaboy. It's great when they appreciate you, but you don't have to put them as a giant on your shoulders you don't have yep. to make them something that they're not. And I wonder, like, I might have left the job sooner. I might have stayed with some realistic expectations, not low or high. And so I, I would just encourage our listeners, at some point, you're focused on what's going on in you. But then at another point, you start, like, giving grace to the individual. That doesn't mean you don't hold them accountable, but that means that you kind of see the situation differently. And I think that that's kind of what's missing. And in the Bible, again, I don't, again, I want to be careful. I know all of our listeners are here. Something that's unique about Christianity is we talk about grace and truth. We talk about Jesus coming in grace and truth. If you're overly gracious and not truthful, that's not actually grace. You're just letting people get away with things. And if you're overly truthful without grace, then, then like, no one's really going to like you. And there's authors that have talked about it. I think Tim Keller has a quote. We can post that later. But I just want to encourage you that like, actually, to be really truthful, you have to be gracious. And actually, to be really gracious, you need to be truthful. But I think in this situation, as I walk you through, you focus on what's going on inside of you. This is what I have control over. And then you realize there's something else going inside of them. And that's where it takes wisdom to navigate how you acknowledge how you take care of that. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about the people that that story 
they appreciate you sharing, but they may not have any uh, relevance to their life and how to apply it. I just had a, a couple of thoughts that I wrote down. Maybe you're the kind of person that you and your spouse are welcoming your first, second, third, fourth, fifth child into this world. And there are people that mean a lot to you in your life, parents, siblings, friends, and you're so excited, right? And you go to share the big news with whoever it is. And the response is another one. Has that ever wrecked you that you're like, that? oh, I mean, that's the response, that it creates a negative framework for that relationship ongoing. Maybe it's not a baby. Maybe it's um, you're getting married. Maybe you're in a new relationship and you share the big news with somebody and the person on the other end doesn't give you the same energy back to you that you shared with them. What I would challenge you in on is if it's exciting and it's a part of your life and it's something you value, don't let other people rob the joy of a moment because it can set you back a really long time. So, so being, being mindful of who you share information with and how you share it can be a big part of it. But, but a big part, um, that we, that I think about all the time is just language that we use within confrontation that can derail a conversation, or it's the only thing that somebody picks up on. So from a super practical standpoint, words that I think when we are coming in grace and truth to share with people, something that hurt us, removing these words from a conversation that we're bringing up about the actions of somebody else, removing the words, all removing Mm -hmm. the words, every removing the word, always Peter. I just want you to know, man, I've had some things on my heart and uh, you, you always do this. You always go to this place. Every time I talk to you, you, you don't realize that you think you're being great about getting things off your chest and you're unloading in a way that like, oh, I feel so much better now that I've shared that. Little words like that matter. And it, you really have to, you really have to catch yourself when your emotions are high. Like you talked about having that tact and high emotions, but being aware of how you communicate when you're at complete equilibrium, everything is fine versus when tensions are high, when you're, when you're a parent and your kids walk into the room and interrupt something, or you're just trying to think, or your spouse says something to not respond with, you always do this. Every time, because what you are doing is whether you realize it or not, speaking death over another person that mm-hmm. is framing their identity in a way that you never meant to. So um, that is just something in my life that I have had to work on the way that which, again, you want to be able to share with somebody through conflict, maybe how the expectations been missed or how they hurt you. But it even goes down to then even thinking about the words that you use as you describe something. And if you have blown it, being able to step back to journal, to self-assess to yourself. The the idea was right. I was able to get over myself and have the conversation that needed to be had. But boy, I use some language within that, that I'm really not proud of folks. I want to tell you, it's okay to text somebody after you've had a conversation, even if you felt it went incredible and let them know, Peter, I appreciated you talking with me earlier today, but boy, I realized that I probably used some words in there in my emotions that I didn't really think about how that could have impacted you. And I just want you to know, I'm sorry that I use certain words in there that really aren't who you are. I just, I, I was getting it off my chest and hopefully you could be gracious enough to let me know, you know, that I didn't mean those things. Sometimes it is the 360 conversation that has to happen. It's not just the text that's sent and you did your job. Boom. It's better. It's not just sending the text and then having the face-to-face. 
It's sending the text, having the face-to-face, and then following back up to make sure that we're all on the same page and we're good. And so again, Peter, I love it because I didn't know that this is everything we were going to talk about today, but I got to imagine in my heart of hearts that conflict resolution, dealing with um, challenging conversations, toxic or boundaries in our life. Let's be honest, folks, about boundaries that we set up against well-meaning people that maybe really don't deserve to have boundaries set up against them. And it could be stemming from or rooting from missed expectations that should have never been put on another person. Take, listen to this conversation with your spouse, get them on the same page, take it. But, you know, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing everything that you did, because I think you're going to encourage and inspire a lot of people. And I know that we always leave our show talking about the start, stop and continue. Hold on, hold on one second before we get to the start. Um, I just want to say one thing before we transition. Ian Morgan Crone, who's a, he was a podcaster with uh, typology. It's an Enneagram. You can look it up, but he always says this. We love imperfectly and we receive love imperfectly. And so going back to your original example, I just shared that we're pregnant and someone says to me, again, you haven't, you're having another kid. We're not pregnant. Um, you're not pregnant, but you're, you're, you're saying that. And, you know, maybe that person, maybe we're assuming the worst and that's another thing. Maybe they're legitimately concerned for us about our mental well-being, not that it's not a joy to have a child, but they they want us to be healthy. They, you know, they see the stress, they see the exhaustion. So, you know, probably one of the most faithful people in my life is my brother. My brother Andy is about seven years older than me. Every week he gives me a phone call. He just I can count on it. When I I lived in Missouri for a little bit and I lived with him. And at the time, my brother felt that I had received or been entitled to a lot of things that maybe I shouldn't have. Now I'm the baby of the family. Um, you know, I'm, I have woo as a strength and my brother just felt like, Peter, you need to pay rent, you know, and he was hard on me. He gave me a lot of feedback. The older I get and the more that I see him, you know, and just like the things he would say, he'd comment, you know, just the things that he'd comment on, what I see now is not somebody that was trying to be a jerk. I see someone that radically loved me and wanted me to grow because we love imperfectly and we receive love imperfectly and we've both grown. And like, I realized like I was a stupid 22 year old. Like I just was like, there was things I wasn't aware of. And could we, we both had contributions to that issue but I would just kind of encourage you that some of the people that bother you the most, they just love you differently. And instead of being upset with that, begin to look for that. Boy, your, your relationship with your brother's uh, brother sounds a little bit different than my two older brothers that growing <laughs> up the, the baby of my family, which babies unite, boy, my brothers would grab me by my hands and my feet and play one, two, three toss and throw me <laughs> in the walls and wrestle me. But that's, you know, if we're not careful, um, in all sincerity, we can, we can have sibling relationships that go south that don't have to. And if anything, you know, that I'm a big proponent of is in the last few years, we've seen how quickly life can change. There's young people dying in their twenties, thirties, and forties from illness, from setbacks, from accidents, folks, life is way too short. Um, the last thing any of us want to do is be on our deathbed and wish we would have made relationships right with our siblings 
and it might be tough. It might be years worth of unwinding, heartache, and hard conversations, but boy, is it worth it. And so if the only thing you took from this episode today is siblings are tough, their expectations are tough, their words are tough, like your spouse, um, you can be cut deep by things your siblings have said to you, but make it right no matter what. So again, I appreciate you sharing those things for uh, for the sake of our conversation and time. I don't want to keep you too long today. Did you have a start, stop, and continue that you thought you wanted to share with us today? Yeah. So my start is this idea of Sabbath. Um, my boss, his name is John Amayo. He's big into it. I know that for some of our listeners, they're not spiritual, but in, well, they're spiritual, but they, you know, might not read the Bible or, you know, have different thoughts on Christianity. But, you know, I think in our family, my wife and I, we really want to focus on Sabbathing. And that means working hard six days and taking one day where we're together, where we're enjoying each other. There's studies that you're actually more productive. So I want to really start that. Um, stop. Um, you know, I, I think I'm always working on, I shouldn't say always, um, I'm really trying to work on being disconnected at the right times and just kind of setting some of those expectations. I've been doing a little bit better, but stopping feeling like I need to get email at eight o'clock at night or check something, you know, it can wait. Um, or sometimes just letting people know and then continue, um, you know, I, I'm trying to continue really spending one-on-one -on -one time, you know, with my kids. My two-year-old um, loves to get up at 5.30 in the morning. And mornings for, I am such a morning person. I I could probably get five hours of work done in two. And I'm learning how to really f like hone in on that, you know. So my two-year-old is really tactile. Lucy, she just loves to like grab your face and you know, she's 30 some odd pounds. And right now what I'm continuing to do is I get on the floor and I say, Hey, Lucy, let's do some pushups. She loves it. I can barely do that many, but I think just continuing to create those moments with your kids and stuff. So there's my well, start. And I can stop. tell you, yeah, I can tell you as a dad, it is so hard because, you know, for me, the, the thing that I value is quiet time. And really the only quiet time that I get is being willing to get up hours before everybody else gets up. And you can have the greatest intention the night before that I'm going to get up early. I'm going to make coffee. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to clear my mind. I'm going to have meditation time or, you know, for me, it's having a devotional, reading my Bible, cup of coffee. And uh, out at 515 walks one of your twins. And they're, you know, they want to spend time with you on the couch and just, it sounds so bad, but learning how to value that time with your child versus just like, Hey, go put on a movie, go in the other room. This is my time learning to navigate those things. And again, I think the hardest part is when you have ideas and emotions that come to your mind that you would have never assumed would have ever been there before you ever had kids that you cherish every moment. And every night putting your kids to bed would be so harmonious and incredible and kisses and I love yous. And then the next thing you know, you know, you're starting bedtime at seven o'clock. It's now nine 45 and you're now screaming, go to bed. You know, like there, there's just things that you never would have assumed you would have ever been or become. But I think that's the goal is you don't, you don't have to stay there but it's learning to think through these things. So I love that start, stop, continue. Uh, Peter, I do want to thank you though, as the host of this show for being willing to come on today. Uh, I'm always amazed at where the conversation goes. I did not know that this is where we were going to go today and how much we're going to get into it. Uh, but I think your practical insights are really going to help. If anything, if, if my goal is if we had one listener 
that was able to mend or restore one relationship in their life that can change an entire legacy, an entire generation of families. So that is my one goal. If, if this episode helps you in any way of that regard, please, please send me an email, please reach out to me and let me know. I had the conversation and here was the results. I would love to get in touch with you and know how this conversation helped inspire you. But partner, uh, from being kids in Sunday school together to here we are as two grown men doing podcasts together. Thanks for coming on the one big thing. Thanks for being so honest and transparent. And we'll put Peter's contact information in the show notes in case you want to get in touch with him.